All right. Sit back, relax. It's time for another Laneway Talks. G'day, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of Laneway Talks with you and me. Rob and Finch. Yeah, how you been? G'day, Vince. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I've been good. Well, I've got some good statistics for us today. I've been reading a lot in the news and trying to pick up what's going on in the music business internationally and as opposed from classic rock and going back to the 70s and glam rock in the 80s. Okay. I'll start off with a few points that I've got because I think they'll be very interesting to you. Although, I did want to start on a light note and say... Yeah, it's a light... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a light note. Yeah, I'll just do the... There you go, a couple of birds. Which one's yours? I'm not sure. (laughs) I was reading the news the other day, and one of the main news posts I saw, this was on Monday the 15th, was uh, on what Queen Mary was wearing and what it signified. We've got a war going on in Ukraine. We've got a war going on in Gaza. We've got China who threaten us on a regular basis and just said yesterday that they never sent those sonar pulses out that, you know, nearly killed our sailors. They said it was someone else like the Japanese. So we've got all this... Yeah. So we've got all this going on. And then what I read is Queen Mary, on what was Queen Mary wearing at her inauguration, I think, as the Queen or whatever... And what it signified, what did the clothes signify? And I, I had to take stock and sit down for a while. <laughs> I went and got a cup of tea. I sat down and, I, and I, I pondered life for a little while because, okay. you know, do you believe what the new, what's newsworthy these days? Never. We're talking about blue bloods here. Now, uh, my, my opinion on royalty and the monarchy and the Commonwealth is I'm totally against it, but... There's no way I'm ever going to um, support a republic because the transition cost from the Commonwealth to the republic is, imagine it just cost us $400 million to do a bloody referendum on The Voice. Just have a good think about what it would cost, Rob, and these costs go back a long time, so it's got to be triple. And it was like up to half a, million, half a billion dollars to make the change from a... Commonwealth or Republic, and a lot of those costs were in letterhead costs and paper and all that. It's, that in, right? it's insanity. It's like insanity to the point of stupidity. We have people who are dying. We've got environmental issues. Uh, you know, we've got, you know, these wars going on. We've got our own inflation issues. And what we're worrying about here is what were the clothes that she was wearing? What did they signify? I, I, you know, I... I couldn't bear to read any further because then I might get trapped into seeing what the clothes did signify, you know, what the colour was or what the bow was at the back or something like that. I'm not sure. Okay. Anyway, that was my bit of sham news newsworthiness topics. It wasn't really very light hearted, though, was it? No, I suppose. Well, I suppose, no. <laughs> in actual fact, let's turn that around. It was pretty heavy stuffing compared to our compared to our music discussions. And yes. I think it was reality life, you know. It's the blue bloods and what they're doing. Do we really care? Does any? Do you care? Do you care? Do we care what the uh, royals are doing in the UK? Do I really care? No, I don't care. They don't help me in the 
least in any which way. Will a republic help me in any way? No, it won't help me. It'll help the people up there at uh, in intellectual um, houses, right, uh, who are, you know, trying to dominate the world and tell us all what to do. It might help them intellectually, but it doesn't mm-hmm. help the person on the ground at all. They still go to work the next day. Anyway, put all that aside. Um, so my first one was I was listening to Super Tramp and I saw uh, that they get 10 million monthly listeners. I thought that was unbelievable for a band that was so old and that didn't have any revel- relevance in 2023. And that's got to be maybe 40 years or 35 years and under. Absolutely no relevance to them at all. And so can I comment on that? Yeah. I feel that that's a really good example of what, if your data is correct, and I'm always curious about where the data's from and who's posting it, but came from bands, the- like, yeah, go on. bands like that have a huge listening audience. We've got access to all of their music, and there's a huge audience out there that 10 million, as you said, that like that band, but it's good music from that era. Well, and, well that, yeah, it's good music from that era, yeah, yeah, for, for those people. And so uh, you're saying that you were blown out that there's that many people listening to them? Absolutely. I, I, try, I was trying to work out the figures on that. And but that, that's, a, that's a market that you are unaware of? Or? No, I, I just think it's a diminishing market, and if we go to the 60-plus... And, and don't include you and me because we, as musicians, I think I'm a lot more ahead, but there's a lot in the 60-plus where... Ahead co- of what? Co- well, ahead <laughs> of the average person, the average listener. They're, they're causal listeners, and so, you know, they've been educated by radio, and yes, they they know Supertram, but are they very savvy digitally? No, they're not. We know that through our marketing, so they're not. But so that that's why I get... It's not that I don't think... They have a real audience. It's are their audience digitally savvy enough to give them ten million monthly listeners? And obviously, uh, it goes well, across they the must board. Be if your data's correct. Well, I don't know the age brackets, so it could be that younger people have discovered them, or it's your, you know, your thirty-five yep. onwards or whatever. But so I was still blown away. Ten million, and there's a <clears throat> a lot of money in that. That's about um, that's about four hundred thousand dollars a month. That they're, that they're making. Do you like that? Because they'd, yeah. they'd all be in their mid-70s, Supertramp, because they'd have to be in their mid-20s when I was in mid-70s, in their mid-20s and I was a teen. They'd have to be in their mid-70s, so that's that. Deep Purple are getting, which surprised me, only getting $6 million a month. Now, I thought Deep Purple potentially would have been bigger than Supertramp. Um, it doesn't surprise me that they're not, but and they've lost a bit of momentum because... They've lost Steve Morse as a guitar player. Well, oh, did, uh, he, did, he die? did he die? No, 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 he's still there. He just, he's left the band, so. Oh, right, okay. Um, so maybe their profile's not as high because they've been touring for millennia, really, haven't they? Well, but, I, um, I went and listened. As soon as I saw that figure, I got a, a hype of enthusiasm. So I went to I went to Spotify and I put on Burn, played Burn, and then I, I played... Um, what was the one straight after that? It wasn't... Uh, um, Stormbringer! Come, Stormbringer, yeah, not Come Taste the Band. And I listened to that and, you know, and I was going, wow, how fantastic those records were. Anyway, six million there. Now, I mean, still really good, but I, th- I thought they would have been bigger. I th- would have thought they had more hits, essentially, than Supertramp. Now, Supertramp had a lot of hits, but I think what it does show 
is that Supertramp were a far more wider audience band than what Purple were. Purple, oh, yeah, were obviously, to hard rock. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that even perceived as that. I mean, yeah. Initially, when they started out, they were more psychedelic. Yeah, yeah. So, well, anyway, there were just a couple of figures I saw, you know, and I I was looking at, when I listen to stuff, I look at those kind of figures because it always interests me. Anyway, so the big news for the week, big news for the week, universal to cut staff numbers. The company's headcount has grown steadily each year since 2016. From a staff of seven and a half thousand to a staff of nine thousand at the end of 2022. I presume they're saying from 216 to 222. It's gone from seven and a half thousand to nine nine. Let's call it ten thousand staff members. Europe held the bulk of the global workforce with 42 percent. Do you like that? Europe. Wow. Uh, followed yeah, yeah. by North America, America with 39 yep. percent. Um, now, just before I go to the next bit of that. Let's just ponder that. So they've got nearly 10,000 staff. They're looking at uh, staff cuts, and I find that amazing. That, But you've been growing your staff. You must have been growing it for a reason. Can you, like, look at their share market worth <laughs> or whatever and see if it's dropped? Or well, we're, we're, well, we're going to get – no, we're going to get to that in a sec. I think I'm going to astound you there. Yeah. Universal recorded uh, its revenue at $2.75 billion in quarter three, 23. Wow. That's one one quarter. $2.75 billion euro. Wow. Euro. That's a lot lot of bucks, mate, reflecting a year-on-year rise of 3.3%, and that's reportedly owed to the company's focus on streaming and physical media. Well, I don't know what that means because there is only st- streaming and physical media when it comes to recorded music. The company's executive vice president and CFO, Boyd Muir, as in Robbie Muir, the football player, but this is Boyd Muir, who earns a reported annual salary of seven figures, not six, not six. Come on. I want, come on. Yep. Say something. Yep. Seven, seven okay. figures. Nothing surprises me. Confirmed last October that Universal would be cutting to grow in 24. Well. Come on, give me, listen to that. They would be cutting to grow in 224. I have to be sitting in the boardroom to understand the logic behind that. It just baffles me, but maybe it's all due to automation. They don't have to do anything or pay anyone to get streams, do they? Well, remember we we discussed this a couple of weeks back and I was saying that um, that. Uh, the four major players were making more profit now than they'd ever made. It was a bonanza, the whole digital world. Of course, in you know 1998, it was doom and gloom and what were we going to do and how would we survive and it was all copyrighted and, um, you know, and uh, pirating and all that kind of stuff because it was online. And now we get to 2023-24 and... They've made more money than they've ever made. I think you're you're right on the money in what you're saying, Rob, is that they're looking at more and more automation, cutting staff and the top epsilon making more money. Here we go. So it goes on from here. We're consuming more music than ever before. 
Never mind that streaming services are pushing up subscription fees. Now, there's a lot in that, mm. in that statement, isn't there? We're consuming more music than ever before. Yes. And never mind that streaming services are pushing up subscription fees. Yes. So if we're listening to more music, in the let's call, let's look at the Spotify two models, one being the subscription model and one being the ad-funded model, but we're listening to more music. You would assume a percentage of the more music are going to the subscription model without ads, and then there's a percentage of them that of those new listeners who are consuming more, and there's got to be some of them, it can't just be the same amount, are moving over, uh, are using the ad-funded model. So how do subscription fees go up, Rob? How do they go up if they're because they're reducing their staffing numbers. Mate, this is Accounting 101. They're, they're reducing their staffing numbers to make more profit. They're already making big profits. And mm. we're consuming more music, which means they should be making more profits, and they're increasing subscription fees. Now, it doesn't make sense. The global music industry clicked over 4.1 trillion audio streams in 23. That's up 22% from 22. That's setting a new record for a single-year achievement, a 22% increase. That is phenomenal. Anything over double digits is phenomenal, and, you know, it's double-double digits. And setting a new record for a single-year achievement with audio and video combined, this is what I love, um, I'll come, with audio and video combined, song streams hit, so once you hit the videos in there too, 7.1 trillion up 33% from 5.3 trillion. That's when you include the video. With the entertainment business becoming more international, streaming, and what I think by that is that you would, as say, let's use, I'll always come back to Virgin Soldiers. Virgin Soldiers, hard-pressed to get anywhere internationally back in the day because you needed to then go and live, say let's you guys, you needed to go and live in England, you needed to be over there for a good year or two and doing your gigs and that was the only way. If you're in Australia, you might get some traction over there, you know, in the vinyl days, you you know, might get some exports over there and you might have been discovered, but it was a real hard ask. You were more localised. Now, would you agree with that? Yeah, but it, it, all of these topics don't really move me, interest me. I don't care too much about any of them. I just care about music or the right. Well, might interest you, fun. but you're talking to another guy that it interests me, you see. Yeah, Therefore, that's, that's the good banter. So with the biz becoming more international, streaming has brought in newer markets into the mix, slowly pushing Australia out of the spotlight, so in terms of audio and video streaming, the US rated its lead. They were at number one, 40%. Yeah, I think, can I just say something yeah. on that? Yeah. I think in my mind, the big picture here is culturally we're getting squeezed out hand over fist and all that wonderful music what do, what that we've created. What, what, hold on, pull that back. What does that mean? Culturally we've been pushed out. What does that mean? Well, Australia has a culture of music. It's got a pub rock culture of music. Yes. That started in the 60s. Yeah. And basically disappeared in the 90s. Now, all of that was in danger of being completely forgotten and just squeezed out by other cultures bringing in their cultures and getting rid of what we had and what we held dear in that era. And I think that's a really big problem. Do you mean music or do you mean um, culturals in... Um in background, cultural backgrounds of people. Well, it's it's, it's both because I think you're squeezing out the essence of what it meant to be an Australian musician and an Australian full stop, which is a really big topic because I think we're being squeezed out by international forces that are just muscling their way through. 
Mm. But are you re- think- are you referring that back to immigrants coming in here, or are you referring to overseas companies dominating what we listen to? That's exactly what it is: is overseas companies dominating what we listen to, right? And squeezing out whether we have a choice of what we listen to. At the end of the day, you can go home and listen to your records, but I think it's important that we don't forget the culture that we've got and try and get back to the folk culture and the local culture and the local creative culture within communities here in Australia, in the suburbs. All of that's really important music, and it's had a really long history, and it's just being pushed to the side by international companies coming in, bringing in other cultures' music. And I think that's a really dangerous thing that's happening at the moment because people are forgetting about what well, coming back to square one and creating a good culture and their own music because um, they're being told essentially that it just it doesn't count anymore. You know, you don't care. We don't. Well, I don't know that we can. We cared back in the eighties at Mushroom or in the early nineties. I don't. Well, think, yeah. I, I don't think. Yeah, we I, I would agree with you. Mushroom didn't care because I don't think Mushroom had a clue I mean, what was happening. Well, I think. You know? Well, I think we did have a clue that what was happening. We had in nineteen eighty eight. I had a meeting in there where we we went through all our acts. We had thirty two local acts. No other company in the country had thirty two local acts. No into Sony or Polygram or whoever else, CMI, none of Virgin. Nobody had 32 local acts. So we had 32 local acts. So I would say to you that we were supporting the Australian music business more than any other record company in the country. But what we what what was the issue was that, no, we weren't interested in local culture. We were interested in breaking the bands internationally. Now, there's a downside. The, the downside to this was that I've always believed myself personally. Forget what Michael Gadinsky used to believe. What I believed was that we here in Australia can produce any music as good as anybody in the world, and we did not need to go to the New York record plant and or to Abbey Road in the UK and record to get the vibe, or to go to the Iceland and get the vibe. You could record here, but what we used to do is we used to send the bands overseas it was all paid for by the bands as an advance and they would never get out of that advance they were always unrecouped unless they got a hit overseas they could never recoup in australia because we were not a territory that was big enough to sustain outside of the jimmies and one or two others okay but on that point yeah how come that never changed why didn't they turn around and try and fix that problem at that stage instead of just letting it go to a point. Well, I believe, I believe, I've got to be very careful, I'm going to be very careful what I say, all right? I believe that nobody was interested. They were only interested in making money. And, yes, I love making money, Rob, but only to a point. How much is enough? Well, no, it's only, universal, apparently. You know, yeah, and 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 the local independents, and only interested in making money. So it's all about the number one internationally. Now, if you would have sat down with a band in 1988, say I'll, I'll use I'll use the Models for example, who they did their last gig at the Palace in St Kilda to an audience of about 1,800 people, and it was the end of the tour because they did the tour pay off their debts because they were splitting up and uh, and they were so far unrecouped because the amount of advances we gave them and where they went to record uh, and, you know, the lifestyle they thought they were living while they were, you know, as the models. And this is the second half of the models with James, not the first half. And so 
they were so far in unrecouped. Now, if we had to sat down with the band and their management, and remember, management are to blame here a lot of the time too, because the management should be holding the record company accountable. If we had to sat down and gone, look, do you understand that if we're going to go and record at the record plant in New York, right, it's going to cost two hundred thousand dollars. We're going to spend a hundred thousand on hiring the the studios. We've got your accommodation, your airfares, everything that goes with it. Then we've got the producer. Then we've got the engineer. Remember, we're paying big bucks for those, for engineers and the producers, and this is all you're going to have to pay for it. It will all come as an advance to you, 100%. Whereas if you do it here in Melbourne and you go down to AA, back then, AAV, uh, down in South Melbourne, the studios are just as good. Now, yeah. okay, if you want a particular producer, we'll fly him in, but that's going to still cost big bucks, but we yep. could get some local producers. We had a lot, Nick Lornay and the likes, and... We can produce just as good material here. You'll probably spend a hundred thousand all up for everything. If we send you overseas, you're probably going to be at three hundred and fifty thousand. And I can tell you, three hundred fifty thousand was quite regular for us to spend on an act. Not a hope, unless they sold a hundred thousand albums plus, would they even break even? And then, you know, if they've got big productions on the road, they're going backwards there. So. It's a real education process. Who, who, who does all the sums on that? Well, I, I, that? I personally was doing the sums because I, I was the accountant. I know, but if you're... It's the manager, in, manager, manager, manager. If you're in the minus continually, you know you're not going to recoup. So why would you go beyond what your capability is in a country you, that's you tell big me. enough to sustain it? You, that, t- you tell that, me. But I think that's comes back to what we said a couple of episodes ago. It's about education and awareness um, of trying to take control of an industry that just is very uneducated and run by people that were just in it for the quick buck. Yeah. But now, you know, we've seen the end result where our, as I said, we'll come back to our culture musically is diminishing because we didn't learn the lessons back then. So I think we're in a very important stage to actually resurrect that because there's a lot of independent bands out there working and releasing material, but we need to be together collectively to try and stay stronger yeah. within what uh, we're doing locally. Uh, look, I, everything you're saying is really nice in theory, Rob, but you're talking to me about this 30 years down the track and it still hasn't changed. But that's what I mean. It, well, give it wasn't me, addressed 30 years ago. How well, do we address it? Well, you tell me. You did the PhD on it. You tell me because I tell you, I don't, I don't have any answers because they're all after the quick buck, as you said. They're all snorting cocaine at a rate of knots, and that hasn't changed in 50 years. Allegedly. So they're all on highs, you know, and then lows. Um, and, you know, so and I like the bit about, and a lot of them are uneducated. And I think that's I think that's true. Also, it was a it was really true back then. I can tell you, a lot of managers, none of them would have had university degrees. That's for yeah, sure. I'm, I'm talking about the education from the point of view of how to one stay afloat financially to be able to support what you're doing. But you need you need a see they get a manager because they do need a manager, but they need to get one that's honest and that's actually got his head screwed on correctly, you know, in a half a turn. And that, you know, he knows that or she knows that, 
you need to keep your head above water and you can't just advance big sums of money. I'll tell you another cracker. I was in at AAV, we were in there recording, I don't know, whoever it was, all right? I won't name the artist. It was a big number one artist. And, they got, you know, everybody's having a great time. The joints flying around and, you know, everything else, booze and, and everything else. And then they go, right, we're all hungry. And this is at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, we're all hungry. Okay, send out, here, let's get all the orders. So someone gets all the orders down and, and the order goes out at, you know, 2.30 in the morning. The big package comes in, burgers, pizzas, everything. I'm serious. At the time I looked at it and I was partaking in it, all right, and I'll admit that, and I looked at it all and I thought, they're paying for all of this. I wonder if they know they're paying for it. I couldn't just pipe up then and then go, you know, you're paying for all of this. You know, Michael would have killed but why, me. Why couldn't you pipe up then? Because Michael would have killed me, mate. It's part of the process of getting the band to record and all you're doing then is you, you create angst. And, it, you know, in, in actual fact, too, it wasn't my job, you know, to do that. But I could see what was going on. And that's a classic. So they ordered it. Now, if, you're, if you've block booked the studio for two months, say, you block booked for two months and you've got a lot of that going on, imagine the food bill. Some of the food bills were astronomical and then they didn't realise they were all paying for it. That's your bill. You're paying for it, not me. Mm. So so you, where's the manager in that in that uh, circumstance going, well, who the hell ordered all this? Who's paying for this? And you, you, you've got to be strong like that anyway. You need to be Peter Grant strong. Oh, God, you've got to, you know. There, there's not many round that will do it and everybody's partaking in the fun times. So... You, you are right in what you say, but how I think my answer is you're fantasising in the education process. Now, nothing's ever going to change. They all want to be number one. They'll all spend the money. Nobody will rock the boat and go, is that my money we're spending? Hold on. And then say, say it was back with Dennis Hanlon and you go, I'm not, I'm not doing it. He goes, right, we're going to send you to Nashville to record and, you know, yada, 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 putting up a great hotel and mm. don't worry, you'll be wined and dined. I go, no, who's paying for that? Well, no, that'd be an advance. You go, no, I'm not doing it, Dennis. Oh, you're not doing it because Dennis was known for this and he'd go, well, hold on, that's how I think we're going to get a hit. Now, do you want a hit or not? Well, I don't want to go there and spend that money. Okay, no problem. We'll record here. You've forgotten about. And that's what would happen. It's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> That's what that, I'm giving you the example. That that used to happen on a regular basis. I know. I was there. I've right. through it. So and it still baffles me. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know. So there, there's a lot. That's well. I think if if artists can um, become independent and you know educate themselves that way, and I think there's a lot more opportunity now to do that. And especially with these st- stats I was just giving you, um, you know, I'll give you a few more before I hand over to you, is that, you know, number one is obviously America and close to four times as much. Now, this will be a classic. Brazil, uh, India, uh, 40% in front of India. Now, India is number two. And that is, we, we really worry when we get statistics coming out on streams and everything, potential streams or whatever coming out of India, because, you know, there's a lot of bots. And they're so good on computers, Indians, so we we just get worried. It's not worth a cracker, but they're the number two territory. And then you've got Brazil. Now, Laneway Music, half its audience comes from Brazil, and they're number three now in the world, and they are a tier one payer. 
Then it goes to Mexico. We worry about Mexico because a lot of bots again. And then number four, Indonesia has now become the fifth largest, then Germany, then Japan, then UK. Of course, UK aren't that big a country, not like the others, Canada, and then France, and on it goes. We're, we're not, not anywhere, anywhere near there. And the other thing that I think needs to be known also is that album sales in the US made a comeback in 23 after a drop in 22. They upsurged 5% with physical vinyl and CD flourishing by 8.9% to 87 million. I mean, you know, what the hell? That's not that, that's not going to get us around to drinks at the pub. And that's what the you know you know when people go, there's a real resurgence in vinyl. It's a you know it's all coming back. And it's like, are you kidding me on that? Eighty-seven million? I don't think so. That's vinyl and CD. I mean, that's just chicken feed. So anyway, there was a lot more a lot more information there, and I. I'd love seeing those stats because you do need to keep up to them to know where you're going to market, uh, you know, Rob. And, you know, say, for example, it was you guys, Virgin Soldiers, you've got to know where to market to, and so you need these stats and up-to-date stats. Yeah. Okay, I'm handballing over to you. That's that's my bit of, you know, I've just vented for a while. You've vented, have you? Yeah. (laughs) On the business. All right, you're going to handball to me. All right, um, I was at uni yesterday and having a chat with uh, the head of the conservatorium and discussing certain issues regarding education with popular music, classical music and jazz, and um, looking at new ways to have instrumental lessons in popular music culture, because Australia's one of the places in Australia compared with the UK and the US that over there they have what's called instrumental private lessons at a tertiary level. We don't do that here, but we do it for classical and we do it for jazz students. And I was saying to the director of the uni... Oh, hold on, stop there, stop there. So if I if I want to go and do a music degree and I want to, and I want to you know, incorporate it with a physical instrument, I can't do it in rock music. Correct. Oh, they, mate, that's, that's, that's up the creek without a paddle. That's just bullshit. Correct. I, I totally agree with it. They can play their instrument, but they can't get taught how to play it at uni through private instruction. So I, it's always concerned me in the pop music course, and it's because I haven't got the budget to be able to do it. And I refer back to that stat that we were talking about, we talked about a few times, $13 billion that comes into this country mm. through the arts, and where does it get filtered to? I still don't know the answer to that question. But if it went back, because high school music's pretty healthy, mm. and they have instrumental teaching teachers and all these kids want to move on if they want to follow music as a career path, which is a challenging thing to do, but in popular music, mm. what my point is, is that uh, was we were talking about, is it actually worth learning to get better at your instrument, like technically, or is it worth getting better as a songwriter? So the songwriters make the money. The instrumentalists don't. Well, I'm just, I'm just a little bit confused. The songwriter, that's the publishing, make the money. The instrumentalist, is that the person who's actually recording that's it? the person that's actually playing the music, like the drummer, the guitarist, the keyboard player, the bass player. The but don't they make player. music if they're part of the band and they own the recording copyright? They do, but the, the strength is not in being a great drummer per se. The strength is being a great drummer who can write music. Well, well, yeah, yes and no. I can't, don't know that well, I agree with that. Who, who makes the money? Well, the writers. Well, why couldn't I... Why couldn't I be in corn as the drummer and the whole band is um, 
is uh, participating in copyright uh, revenue on an equal share basis, as a lot of good bands do. And, uh, you know, oh, sorry, well, we're recording always, but in publishing too. But if you didn't have that and you sold, uh, you were, were you getting 10 million streams like Supertramp each month, you're making plenty of money. Well, I don't, that I'm just on that particular point, but I don't disagree with what you're talking about at at university, I'm probably looking at it just a little bit differently and saying, you know, where if if you are, if you if I'm going to go to music and I want to do a music degree and I'm a drummer and you're going to teach and I can only do I can only do uh, jazz. Is that what you say, jazz or classical or whatever? Is that could I do that in drums? Could I? You could. Well, you yeah. do percussion. In yeah, percussion. Classical. Right. So yeah. I couldn't do anything else. Couldn't do anything in rock or whatever. And I say to you. Who brings in all the money into this country? Well, rock and pop does. That's right. Because classical and jazz don't, I can assure you of that. So, therefore, why can't you teach me that? Because I actually want to go out and do it professionally. That's but you're forcing me. Completely my argument. Right. <clears throat> I totally know, agree with you. It's, that's, it's a complete sham at an educational status point. It's the, it's the intellectuals dictating to the masses this is how you will think that's my opinion is it's the intellectuals at the university i think it's it's more than just that yeah there's a certain element of that but it's a, is it a systemic thing it's you know it's been like that for a couple of hundred years so why change it now because times change. See, I love changing times. I mean, we learn as yeah. we move forward. Mate, I have no interest in classical music, none at all, none at all. I have no clis- I have no interest in the ballet, and the ballet gets given money far more generously than the music industry. I, you know, again, and we could look at the figures on that and probably astound you. I've been against it for the last 25, 30 years. Yeah. Um, and they say, but ballet is our, it's, it's a cultural thing and it it educates culturally and it da la And on we go, and we'll do it like that, because that's all it means to me is burble, 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 because yeah, I have no interest in, in ballet and I have no interest in classical, but they get all the money. And then we pay for the whatever it is, the symphony orchestra in every state, and then the Australian symphony orchestra. But why don't we pay on the same amount to put together some kind of rock band or something? I don't know, or contemporary music band. And we promote that and we do shows and they are employed by the government as those people in the in the symphony orchestras are. There's no, no discussion about it. You know, it gets back to... That's what it is. There is no discussion about it, and I think there needs to be some sort of narrative conversation, whatever you want to frame it as, so we can... That's what I'm talking about, education and moving things forward from what's happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, all the way through to now. It hasn't changed, and it's been a long time since it's changed. I think it's important for us not to lose our culture by supporting popular music. I mean, is it is it part of it about those that intellectual and wealthy set who love to go to the ballet or the symphony orchestra and put on the black suit and the, tie, and the bow tie um, and the, well, you know, the shiny shoes. There's a, an American author called Dina Weinstein who's written a book on um, 
heavy metal, but she talks about this point, but it's about the intellectual end of the community frowning on the lower end of the community, like being the heavy metal, the hard rock, the popular music genres. There was that whole thing in America with the court cases with the PMRC, where they actually censored all these albums and took all these artists to court. Now, that still exists, but I don't think it's as open and honest as it used to be but bands seem to be more extreme now but they're getting less support than they used to in that sort of area so it's very difficult to try and glue those two together and go look this is valid cultural experience that we've got here from popular music performers and writers and it needs to be funded better so we can keep that sense of purpose and sense of feeling good about yourself at a lower socioeconomic level otherwise things are just going to get worse and worse and worse and that as you're saying they are getting worse and worse and worse because they're putting on the uh, royalty on television and they're not telling about real-world problems, but they're also not looking at their own backyard homelessness and people that are in despair land because they haven't got any support to be able to culturally get together in communities and have a good time and be supported in that. Well, you know, if I go down, as I say, if I go down to the Last Chance Rock and Roll Bar and I see some of our bands playing and... You know, it's a bit of a shithole. There's no doubt about it, and that's what I and that's what and that's what I love about it. it, it but that, that's what I mean. That yeah, culture's good. But I mean, I you're all right. And there's there, there's creativeness in in that shithole. Absolutely, and it real, needs to be nurtured. Yeah, it's important. Real creative uh, juices coming out, and it's. Could you imagine that, that's that the culture set? Of pub rock. Yeah, imagine mm-hmm. the art centre set. You know, even stepping foot in one of those places, not not a chance. I don't think they need to, but I think that needs to be acknowledged that that exists and it needs to be encouraged so it just keeps existing and not getting squeezed into smaller and smaller venues and less and less of venues around the country um, to be able to perform that sort of music in. When it brings in so much money into the country, you know, oh. there's, a, there's a real bottleneck there with where are those funds going? You know, how are we bringing in that much money? Who's generating that income? Why, well, Rob, you know, you can always use ACDC. And if we didn't support that pub rock band back then, and Bon Scott was definitely not a role, role model, dying from, you know, alcoholic poisoning. Um, but, you know, if you didn't have an ACDC, imagine how much money they bought into the country. And then I've heard people go, yeah, but... They don't live here anymore. They don't bring money into the country. Well, don't use that on me because then I'll start talking about the corporations that don't have their accounts here. They're all in the Cayman Islands or yeah, overseas, sure. so they don't pay any tax. So don't don't start with that because the ACDCs and other bands alike like that are entitled, like any corporation, to minimise their tax. But Absolutely. At least they're paying tax. Yeah, you know, well, could you imagine what they've bought in, not direct, even directly from their own revenue and then paying tax in this country, but the offshoots from what they've done, you know, the, the, the creativeness of what they've done and what it inspires other bands locally to do and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that that's the... It's, it's not tangible, but it's worth gold, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. I totally agree. Um and ACDC are a, a great example of Australian pub rock culture that went out and got exposed to the world on in larger venues and, you know, there's now concert productions of epic proportion. But it's just like they're playing pub rock to tens of thousands of people. Mm. 
Johnson. Where was Pub Rock born? I mean, Arguably, it was in England, London, first, yeah, yeah, UK, true. and then it was not long after that it happened here because of the way the liquor licensing laws changed, and they needed musicians to entertain the drinkers, and then they it all exploded from there through the late sixties, which we all sort of know a little bit about that history, but it's still a form of music that was culturally re- reflective of what was happening during the time, and it still is now. You know, as you said, you go down to any small pub, there's something culturally that's happening from all these bands and all these self-appointed players that do it out of a motivation not to get good marks at school, but they do it because they love doing it and it's fun to play with your mates and it's good culturally and makes a stronger community. Well, I'll just pull it back to where you started too. So you are at uni yesterday and you're trying to look at this issue of, you know, how they're, what are they funding, what types of courses or whatever? Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm an advocate for having popular music, having a greater representation in Australian universities, like it does in the universities in America and in the UK. But they've got bigger budgets over there and they charge a lot more to go to university over there than they do here in Australia. Um, now, that's an issue that needs to be sorted, but I still think that popular music somehow, somewhere needs to be supported better. So what, was there any outcome? Did you get any outcome with what you were No, it's doing? just a conversation, but I've, you know, it, it's not something you can answer in one conversation. It's a whole steps in a process to be able to move that forward. Um, but there's no one else banging out on about it except myself in this town. Anyway. Well, I hope you get somewhere because it needs it needs a good shake-up and this, this business of, you know, just classical and jazz and that's all that counts and that's what all the theory's about and that's how everything else adjourns from, I... I just don't agree with, but anyway, as you say, uh, is it embedded in the education system, which is then the government system, which is then the bureaucracy, and then in the minds of the people that have the influence to change it where all the money resides, Um, you know, and... Therefore, you, you've got to get to those people. Well, that may take a whole nother generation, but will that generation just turn into another generation of the same where it's uh, I'm privileged to go to the symphony orchestra and I'll make sure we dress up and we have champagne when we get there? It's like, mate, I'd just love to have the Sex Pistols back. That's what I'd like. Anyway, so that so that was that. So what else? What now? What else has been going? You know, you, know, you were going to talk about um, look at part of your thesis and whatever, and what was going happening. Um, yeah, I mean, with my work and what my research is, you know, you know, it's about pub rock and the experience, the identity, and culture of pub rock in Adelaide, South Australia, during '62 through to '94. But the major part of what my work and research is about is about the education that we have, self-education, um, to be able to learn our instruments and come back to, to me, that's very important to be the best quality musician I can possibly be, which takes a lot of practice, um, to be the best songwriter I can be, which takes a lot of work, and collaboration with a lot of other people. And, um, I mean, I cover all those elements in my thesis and I pull apart all the music that I've written and co-written over the years, but I do have a fundamental understanding of how to actually do that and how to transcribe and I have an understanding of melody and harmony to a point to be able to demonstrate that at a higher level. Mm. So that's generally what my thesis is about, but I really the point each week that I'd like to talk about is, you know, like how much practice do our listeners do out there? Are, they, are we talking to musicians? Are we talking to fans? You know, what's the percentage of, how do we get some feedback on that? to know what to, topics to address each week as well. That's an interesting thing. I mean, I'll get feedback and text from people, which is great. 
Well, hello to everybody out there that's listening, which is wonderful. But um, well, we, we don't got- get well, we don't get enough listeners yet to to be able to look at that. That that's going to take a while to um, to decipher. You know, we just don't get enough listeners yet. But once we do, we need them to comment, and that's what we're not getting yet. But we just we'll just keep working away at it. Uh, so can they can comment through Spotify. Or? Uh, well, they they can definitely comment via um, uh, YouTube. So we we might push that out a bit. That YouTube allows them the ability to leave comments and whatever. Okay. Yep. Uh, and we should probably, um, probably all, uh, we'll, we'll discuss this separately and how we get people if they want to send private messages and whatever. But probably YouTube is going to be one of the best forms outside of outside of anything else. It will be YouTube. Uh, and look, something else I just wanted to add to uh, that has come up in all this research that came out this week is live music fans, and this relates to your to what you've been doing a lot. Live music fans are 170 percent more likely to attend a virtual concert than the average U.S. music listener uh, would go to a you know a real a real show. So, virtual shows are becoming extremely popular. And so we, we we did one here two weeks ago, Eduardo Miller. I think we discussed it last week, Billy Miller's son. And that's now sitting at 88,000 views. So in two weeks, 88,000 views. It's going to definitely hit 100,000. We are going to do another one in four weeks' time. and But what we do know and what I, I think I said in the beginning too was that that when you do live shows on YouTube or Facebook, the um, floodgates are open by those two platforms to the audience that they they push you to. And so it's very important for us to do that. It's very important uh, for Laneway to go to, to our low show, live shows locally and put the old phone up and film it live. But but that point, 100... Now, where, where does all these stats come from? Well, I can get where they came from, but how reliable is that is another issue. You know, that, that, that truly is, and I think you were questioning it before, where's all this info come from? So uh, there must be some truth, and I think it's true, is, you know, is it 170% or is it another percentage, 170% more likely to, to attend, the music lovers, a virtual concert in the comfort of their own homes or on the train while they're going into the CBD, for example, or going home from work for an hour and a half on a train watching a live show? What do you, you know, do you think that, to me, that's a, cha- a real change in... Uh, how the business is turning for bands? Yeah, that certainly is a change. <laughs> you know, you've got you've got to be realistic about what's happening out there, and half the time it's because you know why would that figure be able to be so high? Well, it's because you know if I go back to 1988 with the Virgin Soldiers, well, all I could do is I had to find, first find out where the gig was, and you know look at the gig guide. And back then, we used to look at the gig guide like it was the you know the the Age or the Herald Sun, and you'd go through every gig for the next two weeks and mm. you'd pick out which shows you wanted to go to. So I had to find out where you were playing. That's a, that was a feat in itself. And then I had to get there, uh, you know, so, but that was how I was going to get to see Virgin Soldiers because there was no other way I was ever going to get to see you guys. I could listen to you, but I couldn't see you. So now, if I'm in um, Ukraine, 
and suddenly someone's mentioned the Virgin Soldiers and you go, yeah, and you've played it and you go, yeah, I really like that band and somehow you can get to that person and say, we're doing a live show virtual. What a, that's why it's increased because we, we truly have gone international, yeah? Do you, you agree with me? I do. I mean, I, but I come from a completely different area than you do. <laughs> from yeah, that, that. But that doesn't make any difference. Just the facts are the facts is that you can get more people to your shows to the virtual show um, than you can to your real show because you can get them from all around the world. It doesn't preclude you from doing your real shows. It just means they're still pretty hard to get people to actually come there and, and you know, and whether it's paid or it's free, it's still hard to get people to get feet on the ground. It always has been. It hasn't been any different. But mm. you can now um, co depend on that with your virtual shows, which hopefully transposes to your local area, I suppose, uh, to get people to your local shows, which then means if you can go international in the sense that you can go and tour in Europe, well, that gives you, you know, we know what that does. So to me, these extra um, pipelines into your marketing on promoting the band are all there for us. But we go back to what we talked about last week. How could a band, this is a whole shows on this we could do, is how does a band start and get itself organised to be truly professional? I feel that if a band was to sit down in a very business-like manner, now I know that's really hard because they're creative people, but there is some out there in a business-like manner and go, we, we all come together and we all share the same passion for the same genre and we're really excited to, to get together and we're going to form a band. And now let's start to see how we're going to become a number one act and tour the world. And let's really sit down and plan this out. And it needs to be followed to the letter of the law. Now, that is a hard ask. Rob, what do you think? Hard it is. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you've got to kind of know your place as well, I think, in that, but and not have any delusions of grandeur and go through the process one step at a time. You know what we never want to hear? We never want to hear from anybody, I paid my dues. I can't, I don't swear on this show, so I can't use that word, but you know where they, you know where they can go, I paid my dues. I'll burst out laughing every time I hear that. Who cares whether you paid your dues? It still well, comes down to delivering on all all levels, music, business, social media, marketing. Go on. Do you think I'm an idiot? Um, <laughs> not at all, but as I said, it's a perspective thing. You know, I don't ask myself those questions a lot. I just ask myself how I can stay a better player every day and keep working on what I'm doing and keep creating what I'm creating and keep collaborating and working with other musicians so I can actually have something to put out there. Whether people like it or not is not entirely controllable from my end a lot yeah, of the but, time. Pro, but, you know, but what you just said there tells me that's why you're such a good drummer is because you live for your drums. And, Absolutely. And, and music, but the drums is the first thing, the music is second because drumming is first. You're a great drummer. So I get that. But then the second part is the reason you haven't had success is because you've concentrated on being a brilliant drummer. And yeah, but the proof's in the pudding, mate. You've only got the one album out and the one EP, but I would have expected someone of your talent with, you know, being such a good drummer, you could have been on 10 or 20 albums by now. And that's why... 
I'm putting it on the line every week. When am I getting your new song? And I'm going to yeah, really I, keep pushing I, it. I think your measuring stick of my success is completely skewed to your own agenda, to be quite honest. But what's, um, what's that agenda? Well, you're getting product out. You know, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but... That, that's, that's not my... Honestly, that's not my concern at the top of the tree. I mean, my concern is to, one, be able to be capable of physically and mentally playing good quality music and to be able to do that every day. But I think you can do that. See, that's the pro- That's the point I'm making. Yeah, but I do. But I enjoy that process, and I am successful. I've just completed the well, highest level of well, education well, at university. So, in my measuring stick is I keep kicking goals that I set for myself, and I'm a quality musician, humbly. Yeah, and I agree. You know, what I don't agree that, on that, is that, I that want to hear fun. you play on more music. That's what I don't. That that's what that's what I get frustrated with with a lot of people in your position who I go, I want to listen to them play more because they're such good musicians. So it's like, well, Rob Boundy's such a good drummer. God, I'd love to listen to you know. I'd like to but have you know, five honestly, albums thing, and and listen to him play. And that's I what I'd rather, like. I would rather sit down with a couple of my orchestral arrangers and composers at uni and put a whole show together of Virgin Soldier songs because I think we have enough textural quality to our music to be able to do that in a symphonic sense. And that's really what part of my agenda is that I'm pursuing as well, is collaborating with other people on a grander scale and just churning out songs every week. I think we've got a great catalogue. I think we've got a great bunch of songs. And I don't think a lot of people have really listened to it because if they did, you know, um, they would be quite surprised. I don't don't think there's anything wrong with what... I think what comes out more is that you're, um, you're passionate about, you know, what you believe in yourself and that, uh, you know, uh, as you say, you're... Your drumming and where you push it to, and the education and all that. And I come from a different side. Um, yeah, I definitely got an agenda. I want more product out, but I don't. My agenda still is about good music, and and musicians like yourself, where I go, oh, he's good. He's a good drummer. I like listening to him, and I'd love to listen to him playing on a lot more stuff, but I can't because you haven't put it out. Now that that's me. And that's my agenda for me personally because I love, I think I've said to you before, I wake up every day, get ready in the office and listen to some new music and, man, that's the exciting part of the day as you listen to some new music. So that's my agenda for me personally, Uh, you know, getting guys like you to put more music out. Yeah, that's my selfish agenda because I think you're a good drummer and I want to listen to you playing on some stuff. But, you know, that's the way of the world and that's everybody thinks differently. And remember, it's like you going, you listen to lyrics and I go, mate, I never listen to what they're singing. I listen to them singing. I don't listen to what they're singing, the words. And you go, I don't know how you can do that, Vince, very easily because I, no, I I look at a song differently. But just, the, you know, the process over the past three, four weeks and with Power Hungry, which is the new mm. single that's coming out. I mean... Yes, everybody, new new song from Virgin Soldiers. Virgin Soldiers, Power Hungry, they're coming out. I've been through the lyrics and I've gone through them with Gib and um, I love what we're saying and I've sat down with a new young artist over here in Adelaide and we've got some great artwork to go with that, with the concept of the song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I got it the other night, I've gone, that's magnificent. It's it's a young artist vision of what our music has given them and we've got like a modern contemporary twist on lyrics that I think we're always going to hold up. Mm. 
and the music and the playing of that is very, very, I found, find it very challenging, but I also find it very, very interesting in the way that we compose, the way that we flip things around, the way that we went out of our way and still go out of our way to make sure that things sound fresh and original. Mm. And that was exciting to do that, you know, and I'm really excited about it coming out in the next, I don't know when it's due to drop, but... Uh, no, we, we'll find out in the next day or two. We haven't got that date yet. Yeah, but uh, I mean, you know, what did you think of the new single? Oh, yeah, uh, uh, I thought it was great. Uh, look, it's a it's a very much a Virgin Soldiers song, and I'm looking at it as a progression of, you know, we had the old song Junkies Paradise that you did uh, and whatever, and I'm seeing this gradual thing coming forward, and then... You've got this one, which yeah, it's a, it's a good song. And then I listen to your demo, and I go, man, there could be a lot in that. And I, I'm starting to see it just what I maybe say a ten or twenty percent freshness, contemporary freshness put to your music, and that that to me is progression because you can't change your music because then you're not the same band. And a band that is you know is progressing and and delivering for their fans, it's that gradual progression of just changing it just a bit. So I see this as a real Virgin Soldiers song with a little bit more progression, and then I listen to that demo and I go, my, my God, it's moving again, and that's fantastic. Still within the same genre. Does that make sense? It is, yeah, yeah. I mean, that new song or demo that you've heard, is, you know, like there's, there's a lot of emotion attached to that yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, with, with all of our stuff, there's... They're really deep and well thought out songs, and we busted our butts, you know, to do that and try and honour that code that we all have, you know, being great, you know, the best players we can possibly be, and fuss completely over our songs so that, you know, number one, we've got to listen to them and like them ourselves. You know, it's, if we don't like them and we're not impressing ourselves, there's no point in putting it out to the general public because what's the point of listening to something and go, oh, you know, that's ordinary. But we, we never did that and we still don't do that and we still won't do that, you know. It has to be sounding good to us and it has to be challenging and um, it's nice to work with, you know, some new contemporary artists. And well, I, I, that's, why, and that, that's why I think I say is that I'm seeing a, a progression in, in, in what's starting to come out and what I think what's really good too is every time I see you guys live, uh, you're as good live as you are as on the record. You know, that's because you're all good musicians and... Um, you know, and and with Steve, his singing is unbelievable live. I mean, and for his age bracket to still be able to hit those high notes. And so, you know, the band is as good live. I mean, though I say this in the nicest possible way, what a shame I'm not watching you guys say it, I don't know, whacking or something like that. Where yeah, I'd, in front we'd of, like to be watching ourselves. Yeah, 50,000 people because yeah, it would be sensational. It would, yeah. Uh, but, but you know, it comes back to, you know, thanks for all those wonderful compliments, Vince. I really appreciate it. But, you know, when I speak to Steve, you know, we have our times and we practice every day. Mm. And that's been ongoing for 40 plus years. Mm. We work very hard every day at trying to be the best we can possibly be with the bodies and the minds that we've got left. Um, and, you know, life's not getting any longer. It's kind of getting to the fast end for a lot of us. Um, no doubt about it. We're still trying to maintain some quality. Oh, look, as I can't wait to see you play again. Talk about live shows later, you know. Maybe we've got, yep. to, we've got to do another Music Land show or something like that. Uh, well, I'm thinking March is the, when I was talking to you, is um, what I, we're going to aim for. I think you need a bit longer. I need you, I think you need a few more new tracks. And it's, it's you know, 
there's I, so- I, I, mean, I want to get in a rehearsal room with the boys and make some music and get out and just I don't care if we play a shithole we just get out and we need to play live and we need to have that because that's the essence of what we do mm. it's, it's live and it's real and it's the combination of all of us in the same room at the same time I really struggle with the whole concept of me recording here and then recording there and then putting it all together because it just hasn't got the same vibe. It's never going to have the well, same vibe. Well, it's never has. There's no doubt about that. It doesn't have the same vibe. It, yeah. In its circumstances, if you can get together, it's always the number one priority. But if yeah. you can't, just then get, it's... Get in the car and come across to Melbourne to do it. Yeah. So. The, other, the other thing is too, is to try and get a video together. Now, we'll talk about that separately. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to you about... You got it. We've got to do something about a video, and uh, you know, there's a lot of ways of doing this, and it doesn't cost anything. So anyway, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, yep. All right. Well, that's probably enough for today because we've gone over an hour. But uh, um, Laneway Reds on its way, and when's that here? Uh, look, hopefully mid to late February. We're right at the tail end, but it, I, I personally think it'll be more towards the end of Feb. Uh, so another six weeks away. Um, and uh, and then we'll start with that process. All right, Rob, it's good talking to you, and um, we shall talk to you in about a week's time, okay? Sure, and I just want to say I have got a YouTube channel. It's Rob's Drum Shed. Yes, bring it up. got lots of content on there, um, and I have a website, which is also called Rob's Drum Shed, which has got everything you need to know about becoming a good drummer. And they should be able, everybody should be able to see that it is in the, um, the body of the... Uh, Podcast and has got links to Rob's sites and whatever. Uh, yeah, there is one. One of those links isn't working, but we'll fix that. Okay. In the next couple of days or so. All right. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks, Rob. Great, Vince. Love talking to you, mate. Talk soon. Bye. Cheers, buddy. Bye bye. And there it is. Another Laneway Talks. If you enjoyed that, there's more. Just search Laneway Talks for more great conversations. G'day folks, Mark Allen here and... The Ox, David Schwartz. Uh, and we've started a brand new podcast called... A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers, and we're just chewing the fat. Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers, with Ox and Marco. I'm thinking about whitening my teeth just so when I smile... There's a new episode every Wednesday. Have you got a weight issue? Of course I do. <laughs> it's a stupid loaded question. A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers, with David Schwartz and Mark Allen. I'm eating the kids Maltese. You're eating their of... Christmas present. I am a piece of garbage. <laughs> Listen wherever you get your podcasts.